supervision is self-reported. It keeps us safe and sane. Mental coaching is bringing your actual coaching to be scrutinized and it keeps us sharp. It brings us back to our sharpest edge time and time and time again. Hi, I'm Alex Pascal, CEO of Coaching.com, and this is Coaches on Zoom Drinking Coffee. My guest today is a master certified coach with the International Coaching Federation, a mentor coach, and a certified coach advisor. She has focused on maximizing individual, team, and organization effectiveness for over 25 years. Her purpose is to enable people to express their needs in service of a more caring world. Please welcome Claire Norman. Hi, Claire. Hello, Alex. It is so nice to re-meet you after all these years. I know. It's so funny how we've been talking for so long and we both went through our email to see when we first connected and it was October 2015. So it's been a while. Yeah, it certainly has. <laughs> Let's start where we always start on coaches on some drinking coffee, unless we talk about some old email correspondence first. <laughs> what are we drinking today? We are drinking a Redbush tea or Roybosch as it is I think more properly known. I drink it with milk because I like it to taste a bit like a normal tea. Although for somebody who drinks a normal tea, it doesn't taste like a normal tea. It's a bit of an acquired taste, but I love it. Uncaffeinated, naturally uncaffeinated. So it's not decaffeinated. It's naturally uncaffeinated tea. And I was going to match you with the exact same thing, but it's Wednesday today that we're shooting this episode and it's 8.55 a.m. here in LA and I just looked at my matcha that I bought yesterday. I was like, I gotta make some matcha. So I'm matching you with the tea category and I'm doing an iced matcha Americano. Oh, that sounds very LA to me. (laughs) It is very LA. It is, of course, organic matcha. You know, you're going to be shot here in LA unless you, you know, do it the right way. (laughs) Well, you can get shot in LA for non-matcha related purposes uh, yes. as well. But, right. you know, it, I feel like it's been good lately. You know, I haven't heard of anyone getting shot. <laughs> How did we get onto that? <laughs> recently. Well, I do live in LA, you know. People yeah. ask me all the time, like, but LA is so dangerous. I'm like, honestly, well, I grew up in Mexico City, so <laughs> this doesn't seem dangerous to me. And even Mexico City, I don't think it's as dangerous as it used to be many, many years ago when I grew up there. <laughs> but we're off to a rocking start with our episode today. Already covered all these fascinating topics that while we're talking about our drinks, So let's go on to another fascinating topic, which is really your journey, the journey of your career. I know you've had some really cool roles at some large companies like Accenture, and you've Mm -hmm. always been a coaching advocate. You're an MCC level coach. So please take me through your journey. How did you end up doing what you do today? And second question, I'd love to know when you first heard about these things called coaching? Yeah. So, well, I'm going to answer that one first because I was heading up our leaders of all level strategy within Accenture. And this was 22 years ago. And I was noticing 
that people were coming on our programs, on our courses, and having all these wonderful epiphanies about how they might wish to be different when they went back to the workplace. Habits that they wanted to change in the way that they led their people. But then when they got back into the real world of work, they slipped back into their old habits. So I was looking around for ways to transfer the learning out of the classroom and into the workplace. And coaching was one of the things that I stumbled across. And I remember reading some research at the time that suggested that if you went on training alone, you might, if you were lucky, get a 20% change in behavior. But if you tagged on coaching on the back end of that training, then you were more likely to get about an 88% change in behavior. So I was fascinated by that idea of being able to support people to make the changes that they really wanted to make as a result of being on these workshops. So that's how I got into coaching. I started to get myself trained. Yes, you talked about me being a great advocate for coaching. I really was one of the major advocates for coaching within Accenture, trying to move us from being a command and control kind of culture to more of a using more of a coach approach to leadership. It was a long, 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 long journey, <laughs> but with persistence and patience, that did start to, you know, make, we made some inroads. And so I was coaching internally, not officially part of my job, but I made it a part of my job because I loved it so much and I could see the difference it was making to people and the ripple effects that it was having around the organization as you know that one person I was coaching had an impact on somebody else who had an impact on somebody else and I created this thing called the 30-day challenge which was all about making a ripple effect with tiny tiny micro habit changes and that had a big impact that those were kind of coach-like habit changes I could go on and on and on about what I did there at Accenture so I was coaching in Accenture for about 14 years and then my role was made redundant and it was at that point that I went independent. So I've been independent for nine years in January 2024. At first I thought I wanted to be a head of coaching in another organisation but those roles don't get advertised, they get created by somebody internally yeah that's a good that's a hard uh, role to kind of get recruited onto yeah exactly <laughs> it happens yeah occasionally yeah i also realized i would quite like to be my own boss <laughs> it's not terrible being your own boss yeah it's really not terrible at all well i can't really speak from experience because i report to a board but yeah no i know what you mean <laughs> yeah, yeah you know there's lots to learn in the those first few years of being independent there's still lots to learn about building a business which of course is a skill that many coaches don't necessarily have behind them when they start a coaching business 
you don't think about it when you start a coaching business, right? You're like, oh, now I'm going to be a coach. And suddenly it's like, okay, where are all the leads coming from? And yeah. who's managing your website? Yeah, all the operations, all the admin, all the bookkeeping, all the... The fun stuff. Yeah, well, not. <laughs> Hints um, of sarcasm there, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... I've been doing that for nine years. In that time, well, just this year, in fact, I finally racked up enough hours to be able to go for my MCC. So 22 years in, took me a long time to get enough hours. But as I say to people, it is not all about the hours because if every hour of coaching we do is the same hour of coaching that we did when we were an ACC or even a PCC, we're not going to get our MCC. It is really different. And in the last couple of years, I invested in 23 hours of mentor coaching to make sure I was ready and that I am consistently coaching at the MCC level, not just for the purposes of the two recordings that I submitted, but that it's consistent. For those coaches listening that perhaps don't know they heard about MCC, they know it's kind of where they would want to end up. Maybe they're ACC, maybe they're PCC, maybe they haven't kind of gotten on the ICF pathway. When you say coaching at the MCC level, just briefly, what does that mean? It means going deeper than you might otherwise go. It's digging underneath the surface. It's being completely with them in that moment. So coaching presence is I mean, we talk about it at the other levels, but it's just like exponentially higher at MCC. You need to be triply curious. I mean, coaches are being curious all the time, but there is something about it's curiosity on their behalf, not on my behalf. So all the time helping them to make meaning of what they're saying. So as one MCC I know says, skipping over nothing. So checking out what they mean by certain words or what an emotion says to them. It's also accessing wisdom. So we would call it evoking awareness in ICC competency terms, but it's accessing that wisdom from every, every part of the body as well, every sense that we have. So it's not just sitting and talking. It is also tapping into the somatics, it is tapping into the feelings, it is what's that facial expression and what does it say to them. So it's all of those things and more. And some, I think I used to believe that it was a bit of magic because I couldn't figure out what is this thing that I'm aiming for? How do I know that I am operating at that level? At the time, the ICF had not created the behaviorally anchored rating scales, which they now have. And that makes it really clear what the measures of success are for being masterful. So that says it's not magic. It is aligned to a benchmark. But there is something really magical about masterful coaching. Yeah, I agree. And presence is so important and is one of those things that we talk about. But there's a whole art of being present. And I think it's part of the reasons why we call coaching and someone's coaching a coaching practice. And when I think about practice, I think like I also think about like meditation. I think it's so important for coaches to master 
breath work and meditation because nothing grounds you more than being in tune with your breath. And as a coach, you get pulled in different directions in a conversation and being able to go back to that breathing and stay present. It's hard, you know, it's, it's hard to listen to someone for an extended period of time digging underneath the surface. And even if you're at MCC level, if you're doing that all the time with your clients, you, it can get monotonous. And the thing about presence is it can never get monotonous because if it gets monotonous and you just get an autopilot, are you really truly present or are you on that autopilot mode? Yeah, yeah, exactly. One of my mentor coaches, Tara Nolan, said to me that actually 40 minutes is probably about the extent of the time that we can physically stay that present and masterful. So, you know, that says to me that perhaps all of our coaching sessions should not exceed 40 minutes if that's the length of time that we can stay that present. You know, that's a very good, interesting point and one that I've been talking to a lot of coaches about, just the duration of their coaching sessions. Mm-hmm. And there there seems to be a shift towards shorter sessions hitting a couple of points, then going back to work, you know, for the for the client to, mm. to apply some of these follow-on items that they may have from coaching. Maybe it's actually, okay, well, this is something I wanted to work on. I get it. Let's connect next week. Let's connect in two weeks. And it seems like coaching is becoming a lot more fluid and coaches are less pragmatic about, they're more flexible, it seems like. And I do notice that across levels on the ICF ACC, PCC, MCC kind of journey, I do get a sense that the more advanced the coach is, the more they're able to be flexible with the way they think about how they structure their coaching relationships. Yes, I agree. And it's not a one size fits all. You know, packages of coaching, I don't think work for everyone. Mm -hmm. I'd rather talk to a person and find out what they need. And then we decide together what the amount of sessions they need is. And if we decide that we're going to do walking coaching together, we might have longer sessions maybe, but you know, actually an hour tends to be enough for a walking session. And we only really make it a bit longer because they're traveling to get here. So it makes most of, you know, them getting here. So they come to me in the forest. I live in the new forest, which is a national park in the South of the UK. And it's beautiful. We have Ponies clip-clopping past the door. I want to go for a walking coaching session. Come, (laughs) come, Alex. It would be very different to LA, definitely. I get off track now, talking about ponies in the new forest. You're just thinking about the forest. Yeah, exactly. But I like the focus of a half an hour or 45-minute session. I know if we are that focused, we can do some really great work. Because we're not shilly-shallying around. That might be a very British expression. (laughs) We're not messing around. You know, we're getting to the point. You know, they walk away with something of real value. You know, I know some coaches who coach for two hours who say, how can you do that in such a short space of time? Well, you can (laughs) if you get focused. But what I also find with that, particularly a 45-minute session, Given the current climate where people are in back-to-back meetings, a 45-minute meeting means that they usually have 15 minutes before their next meeting, which means if they don't go straight into back into their emails or pick up the phone to somebody else, they've got 15 minutes to let it sink in, 
to really assimilate what they have learned about themselves in that coaching session and to just let it percolate a bit more or to make some inroads on some of those actions that they said they were going to take. So if, for example, they decided that they were going to, I don't know, schedule a meeting with somebody, they've got that 15 minutes to do it right there and then. It's more likely to happen if they do it straight away. So I don't know. There's lots of good reasons for doing a 45-minute session, it feels to me. I like the idea of a 45-minute session, both as a coach and a coachee. But it is interesting how you go through that journey as a coach and you start more rigid with, hey, I'm selling this package. And then you develop the expertise to understand where to meet the client. And I was talking to David Goldsmith not too long ago, and he was saying, I'm looking at my calendar and I have a few 15-minute coaching sessions and I have a few hour and a half coaching sessions and I have a few 45 minute sessions. So it is kind of cool to be able to get to that level of mastery yeah. where you can meet the client where they are as opposed to the client kind of meeting you where you kind of pre-structure yeah. your packages around, you know? So it is, it is interesting and for us building kind of software to help coaches manage their coaching practices. I think over time we could embed some, functionality to enable more of that flexibility i mean you can change the duration of a session but it'll be interesting maybe some innovation around what you're scheduling a session just kind of asking some questions and then based on the answers you know say you know it seems like you may need like 30 minute coaching checking or something like that so that's interesting i think that works best when you are purchasing coaching as a package Mm -hmm. for a certain period of time versus just paying on an hourly basis or something. So um, there's some so many interesting innovations you could do at the the boring side of coaching, which is, you know, a lot of what we handle at the operational side. A lot of the innovation in coaching comes down to rethinking some of these established processes too. Yeah, and streamlining them and giving us time back in our days to get on with the actual coaching rather than the faffing around with I don't know what we'd be faffing around with, but admin and operations and, you know. Totally. Yeah. Before this starts sounding like a coaching.com commercial, which we never do in this in this episode, we really don't. I actually have a, a, a question for you. So you have a distinction between supervision and coach mentoring uh, or mentorship or mentor coaching that I think is really cool. So I saw it uh, kind of like in the preface of one of your, your books. So I would love for you to walk me through how you see coach supervision and mentor coaching being yeah. different. The short description that I, the pithy way that I describe the difference between the two is that mentor coaching keeps us sharp and supervision keeps us safe and sane. So there are different things that we bring to each. And so mental coaching keeps us sharp. That is where we bring a recording of ourselves coaching or we coach live in the room and we get feedback on our coaching. So we're really shining a light on our actual coaching. That means that we start to see all of our blind spots because the the light, the spotlight is right on us. And I don't mean to scare people away with this, (laughs) but that's what makes it really distinct from supervision. It is a form of supervision, you could say, because supervision does look at our 
competence as a coach, but we're not talking about our competence. We are looking at or listening to our competence. So there is nowhere to hide from the mental coach and the feedback. And from an ICF perspective, we use the competencies as the benchmark. So I use the PCC markers, whether people are going for ACC or PCC. And if they're going for MCC, we use the behaviorally anchored rating scales. It's really hard to get that out. <laughs> behaviorally anchored rating scales. Yes, that is, almost sounds like a drinking game. Yes, yeah, exactly. Get, get your teeth around that. So because we're using that benchmark of the markers or the bars, it means that the feedback can be objective and evidence-based. So I heard you say X, and that was an example of Y PCC marker. Or there was an opportunity at this point to insert Z PCC marker. So it's really objective if you're working with a mental coach who really understands the PCC markers inside out and back to front. Mm -hmm. Supervision, on the other hand, is you bring something to talk about. So it might be talking about how-tos, particularly if you're a beginner coach and you're still finding your feet and you're wanting to figure out what interventions you might want to use with a particular client who you know who you're getting stuck with for example so you would talk about that or you would talk about an ethical issue that you're facing or you would talk about your own health and well-being so i said supervision is about your sanity and your safety so sanity is about re-resourcing yourself if you are feeling exhausted because maybe you've been doing too much coaching or it might be that you're doing too much coaching back to back and not getting a rest in between or maybe it's something in life like you're not getting enough sleep whatever so supervision you can bring any of those things to talk about anything that has an impact on your coaching you would bring to supervision supervision is self-reported it keeps us safe and sane mental coaching is bringing your actual coaching to be scrutinized and it keeps us sharp. It brings us back to our sharpest edge time and time and time again. So at this point, I don't need to do any more mentor coaching because I've got my MCC, that it was a requirement for my MCC. But I believe that mentor coaching is for life, not just credentialing, because I notice how much development I get by talking with another coach, more experienced coach, and scrutinizing a recording that I bring to him or her and figuring out where, you know, where could I tweak that? And then experimenting in between mental coaching sessions in my coaching, trying stuff out and seeing the difference that it can make to the person that I'm working with. How do you balance both? If you're a coach, let's say you're a PCC coach, you're on your journey to MCC, how do you balance access to supervision and also mentor coaching? Like mm. both from just a practical perspective and also a cost perspective, because, yeah. you know, it's expensive to do supervision, yeah. to do coach mentoring. So if you're sitting as a kind of full-time PCC coach that's on their kind of road to mastery, kind of what does that look like in terms of the blending of both? Yeah. 
So I do think it's a blend of both. I see them as yin and yang. They go together, but are separate and very different. So my personal commitment to myself is to have three sessions of mentor coaching a year. Mm -hmm. I have more supervision than that. I probably have six to eight sessions of supervision a year. Mm -hmm. And my philosophy is that mental coaching and supervision, they meet me where I am, are much more tailored to me and the coach I am and where I am at the moment in my coaching journey. So I would much prefer to spend my training budget, if you want to call it a training budget, on mental coaching and supervision rather than more training. Because I think I, I learn a load more by focusing on who I am being rather than being in a room of 20 or 30 other people or a virtual room where it's not tailored to what you know who I am coming into that room. I'm probably biased because I offer both of those things, mental coaching and supervision. So, But also for myself, mm-hmm. I do practice what I preach. And, and those are the two. If I were short on money, those would be the two th- for development. Those would be the two things I would not drop. I would drop training rather than those two things. Yeah, I think finding a balance is important. You, we just don't know what we're walking into sometimes as in our coaching journey. And even the distinctions you made around mentor coaching and supervision, it's probably very, very enlightening to a lot of coaches that have heard about these as a requirement. But it's interesting when you go from something being a requirement to something that actually makes sense to you and you can connect with how it will help you achieve your goals. And training, you know, I'm a big proponent of continuing education for coaches. Of course you do. Obviously, we do a lot of really cool programs. Where I get excited about is the different methodologies that you can learn about and then you can bring to your practice. So ultimately, we really focus on bringing tools, but then you have to sharpen those tools, right? To me, it all comes together. It's like get interesting tools and then work with a mentor coach to make sure that those are sharpened in a way that make sense for you and your clients <laughs> and then stay sane in the process. So I think it, it all is kind of part of the cycle and in they're all requirements in the ICF uh, process, which you can make CC use something like, Oh, I have to go and do it. Or you can make it yeah. something exciting that you learn from. I do want to anchor on the fact that at least in the United States, we are very early stage with a more deep approach to supervision and mentor coaching and to me it's just such a big opportunity to upscale the level of coaching and i say the u.s because it is the largest market in the world for coaching and it is one that also has been very resistant to put supervision and mentor coaching at the forefront like other regions or countries have done well first of all do you agree with that and second if you do which i can see you do because everyone agrees in coaching it's kind of like shocking the state of supervision and mentor coaching in in the U.S. Why do you think that the U.S. market has resisted a more definite approach to these? I don't know. I don't understand your culture sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, we're, we're definitely further ahead in the U.K. and in Europe. I don't know about Asia, but in embracing this thing called supervision, Mm -hmm. I think 
anyone who aligns themselves with the ICF will automatically be required to do mentor coaching. So they will do that whether they're in the US or not, if they want to be an ICF aligned coach. But supervision has never been required by the ICF. It is required by the EMCC, European Mentoring and Coaching Council. It is required by the Association for Coaching. It is required by APEX. So all these other coaching bodies, apart from the ICF, require supervision. So there may be something about that, that the ICF requires mentor coaching, but it doesn't require supervision. And so people just haven't got on board with the need to stay safe and sane through supervision, whether they're finding other means to stay safe and sane, I don't know. But I do think we will slowly, slowly move towards it becoming a requirement to have supervision as well as mental coaching. At the moment, the ICF does say that you can use up to 10 hours of mental coaching and up to 10 hours of supervision towards your re-credential so the 40 hours of CCEs that you need for renewal. So supervision is in there, but it's not a requirement. You can use those things if you're in supervision and you want to use those hours, you can. So the only thing is making it a requirement doesn't mean that people will necessarily feel that they are falling over themselves to do it. They'll feel, they might feel that they're being forced to do it. That's the downside of things being a requirement. It might be a tick the box exercise. So we do need to be careful about how we introduce something that's a requirement. And, you know, with mentor coaching, sometimes coaches approach that as a tick box exercise. They think, oh, I've got to get these 10 hours. And they try and get through them as quickly as they can and with the minimum of effort. But actually, if you look at it as a developmental tool that's going to help you to become a much better coach and if you do the prep before you come to your mentor coaching so that you can have a really in-depth discussion with your mentor coach about the bits that you want to have a discussion about then more you put in more you get out even making something required doesn't necessarily mean that people will show up in a way that enables them to get the most development from it I think we need to start with a basic definition like we did today and really understanding how they're different. And I think a lot of coaches overlap those. And I like your take on, you know, if we make something a requirement, maybe the value seems kind of different and then you may feel forced to do it. But I see great potentially bringing more supervision to the fold in the U.S. as well as also thinking about the role of mentor coaching beyond the requirements, you're really thinking about how do we, as coaches, you know, how do we find a good fit? What does a good fit look like for a mentor coach and how long you should work with that person, how frequently, and when it's time to maybe find another mentor coach. And those relationships can really help you accelerate your development as a coach. So I, I think coach development is fascinating because Coaches are out there helping people develop at scale. So the impact of coaching is exponential. To be able to have the people that have and are nurturing that exponential force and power, to be able to have them continue to develop themselves through supervision, mentor coaching, different certification pathways, learning about, you know, sharpening different tools. It is so powerful. I mean, it really has such a major impact in the world. Yeah, I'm with you. Coaching is fab. 
It really is. I mean, but, you know, preaching to the choir, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So speaking of just the fabulous nature of coaching, as we're getting to the latter stages of our conversation here today, what are some of the things that you're excited about with what's happening in coaching today? I'm excited about us starting to recognize, I hope we're starting to recognize it. I mean, I've certainly uh, realized it, <laughs> you know, given I've been coaching for 22 years, you would have thought I would have realized it before. But I realized that as coaches, we need to work on our own mindsets before our skill sets will shift. So, you know, if that's what we're doing with the people we work with, then actually as coaches, we need to look at what are the mindsets that, that are getting in the way of us being the best coach we can be because we're holding on to a mindset that leads us into non-coach-like skills, behaviours. I think there's work for us to do to underpin the competencies because the competencies are the skills that we need to demonstrate. But unless we look at our mindsets as well and shift those mindsets and unlearn some stuff, which is what my book, The Transformational Coach, is all about, unlearning to coach. Unless we do that, then it's going to be really tough for us to showcase the competencies if we don't really believe in them because we have a different mindset. That's one thing that I'm hoping we might start to move towards as a community to look at the coach's mindset not just the skill set i'm also interested personally in how can we increase or cultivate the coachability of the people that we work with so i know marshall goldsmith has a book coming out about the coachable leader but i want to do it from the i want to write something about how can the coach cultivate more coachability in the people that they're partnering with? Because it does need to be a partnership and the thinker, as I call them, does need to show up in a way that enables them to do their best thinking and to get the most out of the coaching. And there are certain things that we as coaches know are going to support them in that. And so I believe there is work for us to do as coaches in figuring out at every step of the way of that coaching experience what can we do to draw out that coachability in the people that we work with and that's partly so that we don't get frustrated with people who start to try and hook us into mentoring for example but also it is so that they can get the most out of it. I am all about wringing the most value out of these things. And both parties showing up and being fully present. So it's all very well, the coach being great. But if the thinker is not ready to think or willing to think or ready to change, then is this the right time for coaching for them? Or is coaching even the right intervention at this particular point in time so i think there's more work that we can do about that so that's where my research is going at the moment thank you claire really enjoyed reconnecting with you and getting all these great wisdom from you and you sharing your journey with us so thank you for that thank you